I'm the one who's relying on the lawyer's judgment. And then the lawyer's the one pushing back on me and, and telling me yes or no, or did you forget this? And so, I mean, really all you, the best accountants aren't great people, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so that you're trying to find this cross of like, who is technically proficient. There's an entire generation of Americans who no longer care about prestige, titles, work travel, fancy offices, and lunches. Welcome to Mundane Millionaires, a podcast for this generation of small business owners who want to set their ego aside and focus on what matters, family, community, quality of life, and cash flows. In each episode, Eric Pasifici and Kevin Henderson uncover what it takes to get a little money in the bank, control your time, and invest in building great families and lives. Let's get started. Eric, welcome back, man. Yeah. Uh, had a great, great chat with Mitchell, Mitchell Baldridge today. Mitch. Our guy, Mitch, from uh, old school, Mitch. No, Mitchell's awesome. What an interesting fellow. He, he, you know, classic mundane millionaire right here. Uh, he started his career as a ordinary everyday accountant, realized pretty early on in his career that he is actually an entrepreneur, decided to, um, to leave, you know, the classic um, accounting firm setup, started his own venture before supercharging his career through social media. And so he kind of walks us through that that and talk about scaling a service business. And I, as, as always with mo a lot of our guests, I walked away, walk away with this with a lot of takeaways. Kevin, what were your, what were your biggest takeaways from Mitch? A lot of takeaways and, and a thousand more questions that I yeah. would have loved to go through. Just a, just a great guy. You know, I, I think the thing that stuck most with me and probably just cause it's personal, right. As we, as we are trying to grow and scale our own businesses, you know, just in talking through his strategy and how he approached growth and things like that, like it, it becomes more and more clear every day that this is just like entrepreneurship is just like a Petri dish of experimentation, you know? And so every time we ask those questions and Mitchell was no different, you kind of get the, the nervous chuckle of like, well, you know, I, I wish I could tell you that I did it right. You know, I did a lot of things wrong, made a lot of missteps. And, and I, I think that's important for people to hear, especially from people achieving success, like someone like, like Mitchell Baldridge and, and his, you know, businesses and things like that to hear that, you know, it doesn't all come easy. Like, you know, these, these entrepreneurs aren't out there hitting home runs at every at bat there's strikeouts, there's foul balls. Right. Um, and I just, you know, I thought that was really great sage advice and important to hear coming from someone who's, who's involved in building a number of really great yeah you know, by all accounts, very successful businesses. Well, and you know, he's a lot further along than we are, right? I look at him and I, 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 I have a, a tendency to, to not keep in the front of my mind that like you and I have been at our entrepreneurial journey for, for about 16 months. He's been at his for 10 years, you know? So yeah, a decade. yeah so a, a decade. And so it's fascinating to kind of see that life cycle and what that's looked like for him and, you know, him being about the same age as us, uh, you know, a little bit younger than you, a little bit older than me, because as our audience probably as well, where you're much older than I am, Kevin. Many, many years. Your... In fact, he made reference, he made reference to 25 years left in our careers. And I kind of chuckled and wanted to say, Eric, Eric gets me for like six. Like, yeah. I'm, I mean, you're deep I'm, into your, you know, I'm out of deep this, into your forties, especially after, uh, your, your recent mountain climbing deep one we, one whole we year. didn't know if we were getting you back kevin so every every day with you is feels like a gift uh so on that <laughs> so note let's let's kick it over to mitchell baldridge and, and talk about entrepreneurship tax and smb what do you think absolutely enjoy the episode and we will catch you guys next week all right mitchell baldridge um super excited to have you on the pod man you are one of my favorite, if not favorite accountants in existence. And I'll tell you, you should be honored because it's not a particularly long list. Um, that's an accounting joke. I was, was going to ask how long it was there. Well, my, my byline is America's CPA. I'm just taking I over the time. Like I'm going to have to have you trademark that for me, actually. <laughs> so let's do it. Not a bad yeah, idea. no, for sure. Well, we've got Patrick Dichter at Apple Tree, and then we've got We've got, when well, he's not even a CBA, I don't know who so, that guy is, oh, you know, I don't know Brandon Hall. I don't know Patrick. 
these guys. Yeah, Come Brandon. On. Let's Brandon's start a on blood, the list. Um, let's start a blood feud right here. Yeah, no, but, for sure. But Mitchell, you you are. I I love your story, and I I really want to hear the story of who you were before social media, what your life looked like, what your career looked like, and how you became Mitchell Baldridge, America's CPA, the the Costco hot dog meme trademark guy. pending, trademark pending. Yes. So tell tell us back us up to what your career and your life looked like before you got active on social media. Yeah. So I I mean I had a very kind of ordinary or somewhat ordinary path to getting here of you know I went to school for accounting I left school worked for a boutique firm in Houston called Gaynor Donnelly DeRoche that got rolled up when the partners retired and then I went to go work for BDO and I was doing you know corporate tax provisions and corporate tax returns and so I had this background of serving high net worth folks and then this background of of working on you know primarily big corporate billion dollar public companies. And I got, when I moved to BDO to go, you know, work on the big show, I, I was about three weeks in and realized, Hey, this is not for me. I'm not good at this. I'm not like, I'm not built for this. And I worked there for three and a half years and went to my wife one day and just tapped out and was like, this is lunacy. I had a couple of clients on board that that were real estate guys who I knew from college and I had $40,000 worth of work and I was going to leave my job and and make a go of it. And so that I think it was 28 years old at the time. And so that At what point in your career was that that you moved to BDO? Were you still a pretty young accountant? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you know, I was 24 when I moved there and I was 28 when I left and just you know, I I had always or I just have been built to not work for other people my whole life, just in the sense that I'm entrepreneurial by nature. I don't like hierarchy and order and uh, <laughs> to be and, and, and told just where close to go. the loop, Mitchell. How, how old are you now? I'm 38, or I'll be 38. So that was 10 years. So 10 years ago. Yep. Okay. So yep. left, went out on my own about 10 years ago. And so, you know, got on Twitter three years ago. So I, I had five years out on my own of just kind of, being young, still, you know, I'm I'm still young in my career in the sense that I I learn every day and I continue to to grow my knowledge and you know grow what we're doing over here. But like, really green, really young. Start out in a guest bedroom. Start out with card tables. I'm hiring contractors where you know I have no capital. I'm just funding all of my growth out of you know selling work and. Yeah. hiring the best people I can. And then before COVID, I went and I studied and I passed the CFP. So I'm a certified financial planner. I set up an RIA and my big plan is I'm going to build a all-in you know, boutique accounting and financial advisory and I'm going to sell, you know, financial services and basically money management to my current set of clients and scale my practice that way. That, you know, just this time for money, working 60 hour weeks in April is not for me. I want to kind of, yes. And at this point, how were you building that book of business for those existing clients? Because if you weren't, if you weren't on social yet, was this local advertising? Like what, what were you doing? You know, I I live in Houston, Texas. I grew up in Houston, Texas my whole life. I've just had the benefit of Yeah, yeah. I I had the benefit of just having a network and and being you know, everyone needs an accountant. It's it's you know, you do some good work for a few people, you kind of niche down. I was doing a lot of real estate stuff. But then, you know, in the middle of all this, I I get on uh Reddit and I find this Reddit R sweaty startup and I find this sweaty startup guy talking about crazy stuff. And, and this is like 2018, 2019. Yeah. I email Nick Huber and say, Nick, you seem like an interesting guy. I want to talk to you. And he goes, come on my podcast and talk. we'll talk about your business on my podcast. I was like, I do not want to go on a podcast. Uh, just I'll, I'll pay you to talk to you. I want consulting, you know, and in that call, he gives me some good advice. He tells me to fire somebody. I end up firing. And 
he realizes that I'm smarter than his accountant <laughs> and we start working together, you know, three or four months later with Nick and Dan and, and you know, work on, uh, so I'm working on Bolt's taxes and I'm working on storage squads taxes. And in the middle of COVID, I call Nick and just say, Hey man, there's a lot of people moving out of New York. In fact, there's so many people moving out of New York. They don't have enough moving trucks to move these people. Have you thought about doing kind of like white glove, We'll drive your stuff from New York to Florida. You're a multi-multi-millionaire. We're going to charge you out the nose to do this. And he says, we're selling the store. You know, we're selling the storage pickup and delivery business. It's a crap business. We've gone all in on storage. We're on Twitter now. I'm raising capital. It's this amazing platform. There's these amazing people. You got to get on. And so I just say, okay, well, I'll call you after October 15th. And literally after October 15th, I, I start reading what he's doing. He has 6,000 followers. I tweet something. He retweets it. I get 500 followers, right. you know, day one. <laughs> in, this, in 30 this sounds minutes. super familiar. It just wasn't sweaty startup for me. It was this like Yahoo lawyer on Twitter named SMB attorney. Bingo. So, you know, the, and the so, pizza yes, guy. The pizza guy. The pizza yeah, guy. Pizza guy. <laughs> um, the, yeah. The wait, this is the. Uh, Silver Tsunami, trademark it's, guy. It's, uh, yeah. it's also the Silver so, Tsunami, trademark. Bingo. Please continue. So trademark then, not pending, actually issued. That's issued. Right. So Good. then, you know, I never had to scream into the void on Twitter for three years with nobody listening to me. And frankly, I, I wouldn't have done it. So I'm grateful. I, I'm an, I believe that things that work, work very quickly. <laughs> and so I work at things. And when they work really, really quickly, I, I really focus on them. And when they don't work, I kind of try something else. So I well, just that was going to be, I'll, I'll jump in for one second because, you know, don't discredit the quality of your content. Also, I know no. you had Nick as yeah. a launching pad, but I mean, the stuff that you write, you, you have a, a knack for it. And like, you're, you know, obviously I, I joked about your, your stable coin Costco hot dog joke that went mega viral, but you know, you've got a lot of really prolific threads on the the power of tax benefits to entrepreneurs and things like that. So really incredible content. So kudos to you for that. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I'll just sit there. We can just all butter each other's bread for an hour. But, but I agree in the sense that like, I was fortunate that I had this corner of Twitter, my whim for three years, like in some ways, uh, other in some ways I still do where I got to just sit there and week after week after week, like kind of cover all of the topics in this way of like, now I've built the Wikipedia of business taxes on Twitter. So it, it was a, it was very fortuitous timing and it was a good niche and it, it still is. So yeah, I was I'm grateful for it. And and yeah, like a lot of people get the chance and you, you do have to do the work, but so then that is, so I start tweeting and immediately people start DMing me and I set up a Calendly link and man, I'm doing six informational calls a day, <laughs> you know, four days a week. I'm, I'm just talking to 20 people a week, you, you know, and figured out really, really quickly, Hey, I got to scale up. I got to grow up. and I mean, that's three years ago and I'm still working on scaling up. So, you know, and, and since then I've brought on a partner, we've started a couple of other businesses. We've, you know, made a lot of shifts in kind of who we serve and what we do and, you know, it, we're, and we're just getting started. So I'll follow up on that, Mitchell, cause I'm, I'm curious selfishly, but also I'm yeah. sure a lot of people are in the same boat listening, you know, as you're making that that transition, your kind of solo or very small team and, and are confronted with this opportunity candidly to start scaling. Yeah. Like, how, how do you think about doing that? How do you balance, you know, a lot of the worries that I think a lot of entrepreneurs have of like, you know, is now the right time? Am I going to scale too fast? And three months from now, I'm going to have to lay people off because I move too quickly. Like what, what was your approach as you saw this sort of influx of deal flow and things like that to make sure that you manage that growth and scale in a, you know, kind of healthy and way that benefits your business. And you don't find yourself having to claw things back. Sure. I've done it 
wrong. I know, uh, you know, and uh, everyone, ha- or it's impossible to really get yeah. it right because you have to perfectly meet demand. And I-, I didn't do that. So I had options. I mean, I could have immediately when I went out on my own and was successful as an accountant, accounting firms came and said, oh, we want to hire you as a director. And then, oh, we want to hire you as a partner. And then, oh, we want to, you know, and I had still that opportunity of like, sure. I can roll this up into another firm. But the good news is no accountants even like understood what was happening or the opportunity set. I didn't either. And I just continued to try to hire people and grow up and look like legal uh, accounting is just this isn't this isn't SAS, you know, it, this isn't just something that you right click and Yep. copy and paste and and you've spun up a whole new instance of of something that's going to work for somebody this is ultimately when i say yes to people i have to understand what their problems are who they are who their family is what their businesses are how their businesses operate what their you know when their tax returns are due am i going to get extensions filed like it, this is a process and the tax code is is pretty complex. It turns out, yeah, I learn more and more every I've day heard. how complex it is. So you know, I just had all these meetings and sort of fumble, like would add people on, but didn't. I think about it as this problem of like I have almost, I think almost eighty thousand followers now at the top of the funnel, and then I have like one hundred and fifty client families at the bottom of the funnel. So at a certain point. I said, well, I, I do want to scale this business. I I still want to scale an RIA. Like that vision hasn't left of just this great boutique practice for business owners and real estate pros. Yeah. But, you know, really when, when I turned the corner was about 18 months ago when I met Roger Ledbetter, my partner now who, you know, we partnered up at the beginning of this year. And I, I'd known Roger from, we both worked at the first firm I ever worked at, Gaynor Donnelly, together. And he had left Baker Tilly. He was the head of the Houston kind of like construction partnerships uh, tax practice there. He was a former auditor. He's he's whip smart. And he is, uh, hopefully he's the Kevin to my Eric. You know what I mean? <laughs> he's just the guy. He's uh, the, the integrator. He, he helps you turn your computer on in the morning? Is that exactly. Awesome? So, yes, he, he helps me. You know, he points me in the right direction and hopefully lets me just keep keep shooting. But, you know, so that has been how I've worked to try to scale the core business. But then even immediately, Roger's completely inundated with client work. But we've... Right finally had this successful formula of we, we've been able to hire managers and we've been able to scale a team. And, and, and like you guys, we've been able to utilize some offshore talent, but yep. then really I thought, okay, well, I, I have these 80,000 people. I need to have a newsletter. I need to do a course. And then uh, like you guys have had all these same kind of issues. And, and to your point or the way you guys approach this, like, I got about halfway through a, hor- a course that I was going to charge for. And I was like, I don't want to sell a course. It's dumb to c- charge for a course because it just limits the reach of what I could do, of who I could help. I, I, you know, it, The course is not to make money. The course is to just go help people and grow the brand value and grow kind of what we do. So really then setting up the cost seg business, which we can talk more about and and building over the past couple of years, better bookkeeping are these two kind of lower ticket, lower market, more scalable businesses that, that I think are the kind of bigger opportunity is how do I build more scalable practices that can reach more people that don't take my time or, or have the same amount of kind of inputs well, into so, them. Mitchell, uh, let's back up for just one second because I, yeah. I am curious, how big is Baldridge Financial? And then you've got other businesses as well. Give us just the, the sure. lay of the land of, of everything you're working on. Yeah, yeah. So Baldridge Financial today has 15 people who, and again, we have probably 150, 160 client families. So we have a small practice. Uh, we We prefer to work on bigger 
projects. We work with real estate syndicators and and small business owners, similar to like who you're working with. And and yeah, our goal is to really get inside of a client and, and work with the partners and work with all of the businesses and work with the controller or even do some of the bookkeeping on our own and just kind of surround people with service and, and have less clients that we pay a big play a bigger role in. I mean, Costseg is this other business I own. Me and Nick Huber partnered in a business called Ari Costseg. We started it up about probably 18 months ago, and that has been a, a Twitter experiment. My, my wife, Melanie, runs that business, and oh, wow. it's probably at 25 or 30 people with onshore and offshore talent. And I mean, that I think Nick posted last week like we crossed two million in sales this year so far and that's growing and growing so that's been a huge opportunity and then better bookkeeping is another business that i have a technical partner with and we've literally like built a bookkeeping platform with you know plaid is on the front end a big sql database is on the back end and, and we've built all the middle of the reporting and the accounting and the rules and, and we work with really like either small startups that have raised series, you know, seed or series A funding and, and we're helping them to, you know, do all their accounting on the back end and file their taxes. Or we work with kind of these solopreneur S corp type lawyer, doctor, sales guy, broker, and we help them kind of set all that up do all the accounting, do all the tax planning and, and ultimately file their taxes. And so, that to me is kind of how I broke these problems apart and decided to kind of solve them one by one. So three businesses overall and your day-to-day -day looks like what right now? So yeah, my day-to-day -day is, you know, Roger is the main managing partner of Baldridge. Melanie runs Costeg and Better Bookkeeping, we, we have an operator who, who runs a lot of the day-to-day -day of that. And I sit there and just kind of support everybody however I can. And I, I tweet on Twitter and I, you know, I, I'm, I'm ultimately a sales and marketing guy and I'm a process guy or I'm the visionary of this whole thing. So I sit here and think up ideas and give people problems to, that they wish I didn't. But so my, my day, you know, but then I get into the, like we had a client fly in today and I spent two hours this morning in a client meeting with Roger and, and one of our managers and a client. I'm not the glue holding that meeting together necessarily, you know? And so what I'm trying to do is get manager level people in, in every meeting that I'm in. And I do kind of like executive client management and new business development and just general kind of planning or, or, you know, ideating or strategy. So I don't have a, I don't have 15 meetings a week like our friend Michael Girdley, but you know I have three solid meetings a week of just trying to keep the the people running these businesses on track and keep answering questions and and just keep trying to move the ball down the field. What was the biggest turning point? Des you know, describe the quality of your career, the trajectory pre-social. I, I assume the answer is social. Media. Sure. So uh, tell me if I'm wrong on that, but yeah. describe the trajectory pre versus post and what you've been able to do going from accountant who is doing people's taxes because people need tax work to now being a visionary who oversees three businesses. Yeah. So like the idea of, and we all know this and like, like Eric, you just were on the Fort podcast and did a great job. And the idea of somebody of me trying to email everybody I, like when i left my job at bdo i i emailed 250 people uh, you know blind copied and just said hey here's the deal i'm leaving i'm out on my own this is what i'm doing this is what i'm up to and that got me business for 3 years and then all of my clients would refer me to other clients and that got me another layer of business but the idea of at scale, you know, bringing novel information to people that immediately helps 
save them money and provide value and demonstrate that I kind of know what I'm talking about, hopefully, and that I'm thinking in a different perspective than, than most people offering this service is attractive. And so that brings inbound in a way that just, I never thought I had trouble selling. Uh, frankly, I, I've always just had a good network and, and tried to do good work and tried to be a, a good person. But like, this just was a next level of like, again, just having this open Calendly link that I'm providing to a bunch of people and that gets filled up. And then yeah, I remember at Capital Camp three years ago, I, Bill D'Alessandro told me, he's like, look, you need to reposition the way you're operating your business because you're not going to be able to scale the way you are. Like, you need to position higher. You need to build more, <laughs> you know, guardrails into how people or who you can work with and how people can access you. And that was frankly really good advice because he was right. I, I just didn't understand the limit. I just didn't have a big enough team to to service as many clients as I thought I could. So it, we've continually, like before I got on Twitter, I had 400 client families and a fifth of the revenue I have today. And today I have a, a 150 clients and, and I have 5X my revenue. And like that will only, or, you know, I'm not going to get to one client that pays me $20 million a year. I, I don't want to do that necessarily, but, but that, that, it, that has helped me scale this business. And then just kind of from there, yeah, this idea that also that idea of like cost seg coming in and that being this perfect kind of like creator product fit of all I've done for three years is talk about deferring taxes. And then I like create the product that allows, <laughs> yeah, to defer taxes is the next level of like, we have happy cost seg customers that me and Nick and Melanie route into that business that never talk to us. So that that's, yeah. you know, that's just an, a, a new level of leverage and scale. And so the kind of next layer we're doing is inside of Baldridge really tripling down on real estate syndicators as a client set and kind of scaling up to to meet demand there. I think that's the next frontier. And maybe that goes hand in hand with what I was about to ask. Like cuz that's that's pretty stark to me that you you effectively cut your client base if I heard the numbers correctly about into a third while 5xing your revenue like Yeah. I'm not I don't want to ask you to like give away the secret sauce sure. here or whatever, but like what, what led, was it moving up market? So each client is just bigger ticket. Like what, how did yeah. you, how did you cut, make such a drastic cut while five, five Xing your revenue? Like what, what led to that? Yeah. I mean, it's ultimately this idea of like there's niches in the riches. Right. And so if you all SMB law group serves small and medium sized business owners that are primarily buying businesses, right? Is that fair to say? But if I could I also come to you and go, so if I said, Kevin, hey, I, I'm I'm about to like move office spaces. Will you kind of read this lease agreement? You would probably be like, what would you say to that? Or is that even something, do you take that work or do I, you just say I would say, say no? Kevin, Kevin would be happy to read your lease agreement. <laughs> that's, a, that's exactly what Eric would say. My yeah. partner, Kevin, would love to review that lease. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, I it's it's tough because this is such a relationship-based business, right? If it was yeah. a if it was a random inbound from a Twitter stranger, apologies to all you Twitter strangers listening to this. I've gotten to the point where I would say no, that's just too far off market. If hey. it was Mitchell Baldridge, like I'd absolutely review the lease, right? From a relationship perspective, which is maybe maybe the right play, maybe not the right play. I don't I don't know. I'm I'm curious well, what you would Well, let's yeah, let, I, I want to see where you're going with this. Let, let's say you say Mitchell Baldridge, yes, I'll read your lease agreement, but you're so busy doing $40,000 ticket uh, business closings that have these tight deadlines that you yeah. see, leave my lease agreement in your inbox for 3 weeks and then I'm just like now I wouldn't pay Kevin to buy my I wouldn't pay Kevin and Eric to help me buy a business because the last time I gave them this small job they they gave me shit service and so yeah. it's like that that is the mindset of 
how we just have tried to kind of like really focus on what we do is when we get outside of our, our window, we do a, I do a bad job because I can just only maintain so many relationships. So I thought, Hey, I'm keeping this, this grandma's tax return that I've done for the last five years on my books because I owe it to her. Cause I promised I'd be her accountant forever. And then she's the one on October 15th going like, Hey, you asshole, like what are, you know, yeah. and what is wrong with you? Why did we extend this? And why is it October? And why have you not prioritized my return? Mitchell, and I'm like, uh, let, please, please yeah. tell me this is not a real example. Oh, this is, right? this is 100. I'm, this is this week's mail. So you know what I mean? And so the more, um, grandma, grandma, if you're listening, I'm, I'm really yeah. sorry. Um, sorry. <laughs> My own Mimi. Yeah, no. So, you know, yeah, the, the, the more concentrated and focused I get, we run this flywheel of like, we do better work. We provide better service. We gain more knowledge and then we get to utilize our knowledge and process our knowledge so that we do it even better and better. And then the great clients who we have that are right in our kind of like service window refer their friends who are you know other great clients who in the whole thing does better and better as opposed to so i had 400 clients and i had a bunch of 800 dollars tax returns and i just was tapped out from a client relationship standpoint and i was the guy who had to manage them and when I would try to give them to my manager and they would deliver bad news, the client would call me and then I would try to fix it. And it just perpetuated this cycle that, that really wasn't working. And so we took a big chunk of revenue and we sold it and we took another chunk of revenue and just kind of referred it out. And then we took another, you know, group of people and just said, Hey, we just flat out can't serve you anymore. We're sorry. And it it was uncomfortable and it sucked, but like, it's something I'll just continue to, or when I kind of shifted my mindset into like, oh, the better work I do for people who are really a fit for me, the easier my life gets. And so, right. and the more money I make and the, the kind of less, you know, I always, I always talk about like when I have to go and do like a magic show because, because we do, do we're like do, underserving that, do the Do you do magic? You do magic? Uh, something like that. When the client's not a fit and I have to be the one to uh, take the product and then transmit it to the client yeah, yeah. to provide yeah. the service, to, to cover that service gap, it, it's really not good for me and it's not good for, for this business. So that's well, how is, I've thought about it. I, I, I love the expression dilution of focus, dilution of results. Dilution yeah. of focus, dilution of results. Because you're right. The, the more you're trying to be everything to everybody, the less you are anything to anybody. And it's an entrepreneurial's dilemma. You know, we are, yeah. our firm, as an example, is only really 14 months old, 15 months old. We're still relatively young. And I think credit to our friend, Reg Zeller, who talks all the time about how challenging those first 18 months are. You know, that is yeah. true. And I hope that it's just 18 months. I don't know that yet, but the, the first period has been particularly challenging and you're, you're, you know, there's so many things that you talked about that resonated with me as a service provider. But, you know, I think that focusing on our craft and being really good at what we do is, 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 is really important to delivering high quality um, yeah. service. Yeah. But I, I wonder how you were able to, to, grow a business and eventually it sounds like you've exited sort of the day-to-day in a sense you're you know visionary and you're kind of executive chairman is how you characterize it when a lot of people that are coming to baldridge financial it's baldridge financial you know yeah and those first 340 you know email clients that came to you like they were coming for you yeah and now they come to you and they fill out the website and all that and they're not getting you how did you manage that transition out of the actual day-to-day the way that you kind of stop the bleeding or, you know, the way that you fix it on the front end is, and I'm still not perfect about this by, by any means is, but I am at Coseg and at better bookkeeping is I don't get on sales calls. So then if I can exit the sales cycle, 
it become no one has an expectation that I'm going to be a part of the customer service cycle or the delivery cycle. I'm just, I'm out of sales. I am, you know, strategist and, and I help set the process and I help build the engine, but like, you know, you, you didn't think that you don't think that Henry, the ghost of Henry Ford is changing your oil when you go to the Ford dealership. So like to the extent that I can separate myself in the sales cycle, that's better. It, so the legacy customers then are the hangover of, of people that we've served for a long time that I've been involved with. And that's really been a matter of hiring people that are frankly like better than me at delivering the product or better than, and just like, here's the reality. I'm not doing your tax return. Sabrina's doing your tax return. And so here's Sabrina. You can call me anytime, but you would do better to call Sabrina because Sabrina's in the mix of it. And if you want, and, and then it's just a matter of having these managers or associates like build trust with the client. And it's hard because whenever anything goes wrong, or or anything goes out of bounds of expectation, not even wrong. <laughs> Whenever a client owes money to the IRS that they don't want to pay, they they get to come back and go, wait, 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 but let's all huddle together. And then it's been, you know, one thing we've scaled a lot is Loom and, and using Loom and, and giving people a video, uh, not that I'm on, but that a manager puts together this video of like, here is your tax return. Here are the numbers. Here are the nuts. Here are the bolts. Here is why you owe money. Cause then it, it becomes much more of like a math problem than a, <laughs> than a personal grievance. And so, you know, like th there's been some things that we've tried that have worked, but to answer your question, Eric, like it's, it's difficult. It's, it's a process and, and it can take years. It, it, Cause you never want to go like, oh, well, let's just, let this customer go and start over with a new one, especially if it's good work. Uh, I mean, customers are revenue is valuable, and it, it, yeah. and customers are valuable, and and these are people who are my friends and my family, and and people in Houston who I know. So, like, that's not the plan to just turn over the entire client base, but it is how do I scale this relationship a little bit better? And it's really just hiring really really good people and instilling trust in them with with the client and and providing better service than they used to get and then no one's mad so yeah we we have the reverse problem in our business where people get me and they go why didn't i get kevin where's yeah. kevin is kevin going to be on this call <laughs> we have that with i Roger. wish that were true yeah no i was I, hoping I, mean, I was hoping for an easier answer though mitchell but i i think you're right and it is it it's a it it's a little bit easier with those like arms length, just like cold DMs or whatever to yeah. to put into the sales funnel. It's a little bit different when you've had that two year relationship, you know, hanging out at conferences, like good friendship to be able to be like, yeah, absolutely. Thanks for your deal. I'm going to put you in the sales funnel with, you know, with, with this other team. And it's kind of balancing those those personal relationships with a need candidly to scale just because we cannot be on every deal. Um, Especially if you as use much the as expression sales, sales funnel. People love being placed inside of a yeah, sales people, funnel. Yeah, welcome to my sales. But look, I'm always the process guy. Like I always think that you can develop some process that's going to fix the world. And uh, Roger, my partner, yeah. is the people guy. He's like, look, we, we just, and, and they, we're both wrong and we're both right. But like, the real thing is, uh, like, I've seen it in front of my eyes with COSEG, but the, the best part about COSEG is it's a much more kind of, like, simple problem than I'm trying to buy a business or uh, get all of my taxes done for me and my grandma and my trust and my grandson and, you know, of, like, here, have my whole life and and take it from me. But, like, to the extent that, We've been working on kind of system solutions or like of just how, what do we try? This was another Bill D'Alessandro. I, I told Bill, like, every time I talk to you, you give me some great nugget of advice. So, so keep doing this. But like, he gave me this, he, he just raised his hand. I was in the middle of this talk at Capital Camp and he goes, what's the menu? Like, what, 
what is even on the menu? What can we do? And that sent my wheels spinning. And so we wrote down, hey, these are the 34 like playbook implementation items that we do with clients. And this is how you spot it. And this is how you implement it. And this is how you review it. And this is how you value it. And this is how you price it. And this is how you deliver it. And like, you can realistically do that with business acquisitions. I mean, there's only so many kind of like, I know there's the left field crazy stuff, but it's just, is this a stock purchase or is it an asset purchase? Or, or if it's a stock purchase, what are we doing? It, you know, what are the warranties? What are the reps? What are the this? What are the that? And to the extent that you can almost like make the business simple enough on the front end that somebody who's not you can do it and then you can review it, then that becomes a sales tool and it becomes yeah. a preparation tool and it becomes a review tool and it becomes a pricing tool and a delivery tool. So everything I think about is in this kind of like matrix sense of just like how do we dummy proof how do we turn this into a jiffy lube and like well i i but, see it differently i think our transactions are highly bespoke and need to be handled with by a the highest degree the, of professionalism every time good, different yeah. so don't tell anybody differently here mitchell thank you i agree but that's a tough business to scale you know service i mean we've had you better keep hiring great lawyers you know yeah no because the traditional law law firm firm. i mean we've talked about this a few times but you know uh it's it's not a good business they they go they go wide and and flat and it's not saleable there's no enterprise value it's not a a good scalable business and so we have an open question as to whether or not ours is even scalable at all we're gonna try but um we'll see how do you go right the book about business like how do you go write the book about buying a 10 million dollar business and provide all of these nuggets of value for the clients and, and, and give the person the exact path of how to do it and what to look what to look for and where the bogeys lie and kind of where every problem that people value simplicity and people don't want to think that it's wizardry (laughs) because if it is then it's a big problem because it's not simple enough for them to understand it and how are you ever how are you ever going to repeat the process or how are you ever going to continue to scale the business so uh, i would i just uh, but tax is the same problem where look i'm thinking of this big idea it's the wheels aren't quite to the ground but we're we're doing this this is our off-season project is building these game plans for our clients and building this kind of sales process out and this onboarding process out so you know it'd be it'd be nice if the legal m&a world had an off-season like tax because we we have a long list of things to do and it's always tough to find the time to focus on those things but yeah because we struggle with with all the same things to to eric's point i mean traditional law firms are just they're co-ops of miniature businesses run by partners right it's it's different when you try and scale as an enterprise and without the without those types of systems processes improved client experience and and things like that it's just well and guys name a name a service business that's scalable without recurring revenue Right. Yeah. There's a there's a big difference between your business, Mitchell, and ours, where we have re, we have some sure. reoccurring revenue, but we have sure. absolutely no recurring revenue. And that's true. You know, it, is it conceivable to develop those revenue streams? It's possible. I mean, there are certain threads and pushes within our profession, but you well, know, it, it's you yeah. Could build the big. We're going to help you buy the SMB, and then you can funnel them into the now where your retainer lawyer of right. we're going to help you review loan docs and we're going to help you review um leases and contracts and i mean but then you've just built the same problem that everyone else has built so i i mean look i think what y'all are doing is smart in the sense of focusing niching down into one kind of section of one area is your best shot of creating any kind of process and any kind of scale. But like 
we look at we look at Ari Kaseg as like one, it, it's a good cash flow business, so we'd never want to sell it. And two, I don't think we could because there's a regulatory overhang of bonus depreciation stepping down and Congress making one decision that that blows up the whole business. Uh, you're not going to blow up uh, buy side small M&A. business legal MMA. <laughs> like I don't think you can, but you you, you, you want to be watching the watching the draft legislation and. You got about a six-month clock to get that business sold, Mitchell. So, just, yeah, uh, just hold my nose, put it on biz by sell. It, or like, people yeah, do that all the time. The, the, reg, big regulatory changes come in, they get out, and they, they don't have any obligation to necessarily uh, disclose it. It is. It's certainly dis. Yeah, it's certainly not. Yeah, yeah. I have this <laughs> conversation all the time with clients that call about QSBS, right? And it's like. Okay, you're you're signing yourself up to a long-term clock and you're, you know, you're one session of Congress away from blowing this entire thing up. That yep. not to say it's a bad strategy for everyone, but that regulatory risk is real, right? Five um, years, five years is a while. And yeah. um I, you know, I guess QSBS has the entire venture world hopefully kind of like pinning that keeping Congress uh, uh, that's a pretty big lobbying arm, but it's also, a strong lobby, yeah. Yeah, it, so it, it's tricky out there. So it got close uh, enough. It made a lot of people nervous. They you know, got close and uh, build back better, and you know, and that was with a was that a Democrat controlled Congress entirely? I don't was it. I mean, build back better was pretty. Uh, I don't remember. I don't remember how 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 did we do that. how how did that go? By the way, guys, did we how the building process we, go? It's, it's, I, feel it's like we're, I felt like we built back. Better, Is it better? Right? We're, we're so bad. Is it better? Are we back? We're back, baby. What's better? This is not a political show. Next topic. No, I'm just just having fun with the name of the legislation. Bitcoin chart, Bitcoin up today. You you don't want to give the time away, but that's that's all we're worried about is just where, how are our Bitcoin is up? You know, as soon as my NFTs recover, I'm retiring. That's it. So uh, tell me, or like, not to sit here and interview, but y'all have grown this firm pretty pretty big, pretty quick. What has been your biggest kind of attribute to growth is finding the right people who come on board and the right, how how do y'all manage that growth of scaling up people and scaling up kind of business at the same time? There's a, there's a lot of assumptions built into that question about how do we manage Eric. Yeah, fair enough. What's one? the uh, what's the the Michael Scott from the office where he wrote that fictional book called Somehow I Manage? That would be the title. That would be the title of Kevin Nye's management book if there was one. If any of our staff are listening to this, this is all a joke. Yes, um, they, everything's under control. Don't worry. That's right. <laughs> I mean, we we have a lot of things at play, and it's a it would take a long time to fully answer that question because. It's evolved tremendously from Kevin, really Kevin and I and Sam, but Kevin and I doing the, the work to then bringing in some really impressive contractors, then bringing in some really impressive partners, adding a, a really, you know, overqualified chief of staff, if he's listening, get back to work. And so we've built a really high quality organization of A players. And to Nick yeah. Huber's credit, I think he's the one who recently said, like, you cannot scale off of nothing but A players. And we're kind of at that threshold where it's like, okay, our model, we cannot continue to add people into our model, nor do I necessarily think we need more bodies. And so I don't know that I have a good answer for your question. I think that it's conceivable that we've scaled this business. We may look back five years from now and go, that was as large as that business was ever going to be. And that's just that in would terms actually... of, I, I think of y'all as like almost like scribe media or like you're like a ghostwriting agency or something where it's like it just requires talented people and you can't just, that's... you're not going to bullshit your way through the, well, the this thing, you know? I mean, the reason, the reason we exist is for exactly that reason, Mitchell, yeah. is that the, the, this, the sector that we play in requires a players to do this work. And it historically hasn't been, it either hasn't been serviced by a players or they've, they've priced themselves above the market. Right. And so, I mean, the whole reason 
we did this was for that very reason. It, it requires that level of kind of expertise and skill to an extent. And, and so it's, you know, it's tough to build a strategy to service a sector that's much more cost conscious than sure. the M&A sector generally, but that is, is arguably putting more on the line than anything, you know, lower middle market and above where it's other people's money and institutional money and the moral hazard and all the other things we yeah. can get into. I mean, these are husbands People. and wives on $150,000 they've scraped together over 15 years taking a personal guarantee on a $5 million loan. I mean, the stakes are just like astronomical. Massive. And so the that, levers that, I mean, we can build too. I mean, yeah. the value yeah. proposition, Kevin, it has to be, there, it's conditioning a market and educating on value. And once you do that, you see the wheels immediately start to spin. We run into a lot of people that say, hey, I just want a lawyer who's going to give me a form. You know, just give me yeah. a, want to give you a couple thousand bucks and, and give me a form. Well, or our brokers that say, hey, we just use our standard form. Well, we can put you in a position where you'll have multi-million dollar contractual protections post-closing that will be the only thing to come save you if this blows up, if yep. you allow us to do our job. And, you know, that's not going to be, it's not inexpensive to bring high quality people into a new space. It's also not terribly expensive. You can go out and find lawyers that are ridiculously more expensive than we are. Yeah. So we're a completely new animal. We're positioned between very low cost, terrible lawyers and very high cost, yep. annoying lawyers. Um, we, and so it just takes time. It's brain damage to kind of educate and, and, and scale. Yeah, well, so you're either, if you can't scale people, if you can't scale A players, you have to scale then processes and systems below so everyone needs their own VA and everyone needs their own paralegal or whatever that is and then you probably have to push costs and then you have to find a bottom or this is like how we've thought about this with cost egg and then you have to find some kind of form systematized product that you could feel good enough about where you're just like look at least this isn't the broker's form at least it's our form <laughs> you know like at least this well, not, is that's not our math prove on exactly uh, in, in but, cases, but. You know, yeah no i think i think you're exactly right like if you pushed me on what what do we look like you know two years from now at the end of 2025 i i, I doubt we've added that many more if any more kind of a player lawyers i think we've built a team of like you're saying overseas talent paralegals you know building out a broader system with lower cost human capital and systematizing a, a, a little bit better where we can have more hands in the fire to, to deploy that expertise where it's needed without, you know, without the distraction of like, I'm preparing signature pages at 11 o'clock the night before closing, which is not the, you know, highest, best use. So I, you know, I, I, I think that's where the scales, how large it scales to Eric's point. Like, you know, i I don't know. That's that's tough. That remains to be seen. Yeah, my my prediction though is that it will be a runaway success and that we will do billions of dollars of M and A, like akin to like Live Oak or one of these large financial financial institutions in the SBA lending space. But that's a prediction. We'll see. But it's it's been a fun ride for sure. We have the it's we have a passion problem in a sense. Like I love our clients. I'm obsessed with what they're trying to do. I worry deeply about them. They've got kids that look like my kids. They've got spouses counting on them to to get it right. Like it's it's important, man. And so as we scale, and I see the same thing in our employees as well. And it's the human elements of that that like make the firm tick in a sense, that passion, that heartbeat. But it's also the part that makes scaling fucking hard because I don't want to take on clients that I can't help. I don't want to bring on lawyers that I can't support. And so yeah. we ha we, we've had business coaches and people in the past are like, you know, go hire three more lawyers tomorrow. And I'm like, I can't do it, right? Because I, if I go, I cannot just bring on bodies without a thousand percent certainty that I'm going to be able to do right by them. And that slows you down, you know, but it also provides some backbone and some some heartbeat behind it. So I don't know. I think about this all the time. And like, it, you guys are young and I'm 
young and like we have 25 years ahead of us so it's like why yeah i, I went to this conference uh, with chris powers and you know somebody was talking about essentially hitting the top of your arc but when you get to the top of your arc kind of like uh, no one's there with you <laughs> you know what right. and like if you could just slow down today and go a little bit slower and be essentially guaranteed the same success or more it's just going to take a little bit longer because i'm always the driver i'm always going like hey we got to go we got to go we got to hire we got to hire right. and you know roger's such a help for me he said one time and this just sticks with me he's like mitchell there's a temporal component for this whole thing like it's just going to take time like right. you don't get to bake a cake in 15 seconds because you turn the the temperature up to 2000 you know right. what i mean you have to bake it for 20 minutes at 350 or whatever oh, so that's great that's a great analogy i love yeah that. i just i just made that one up yeah, that's awesome that's, <laughs> man i want to roll it's going on a yeah, hallmark he's... card I think a lot, too, about what John Mahoney said, Kevin, about tempo within the Marine Corps and how sometimes yeah. you sprint and sometimes you don't. And I think that's true yeah. within business. And obviously, we're learning as we work our way through entrepreneurship here. But I, I, I don't think that we can always be sprinting. You know, there's got to be periods where we slow down a little bit and kind of perfect the process. And, we, you know, we had a period recently where I think we had gotten a little bit out over our skis. And I think we've corrected that now. And I think the quality is extremely high. Um, pre at yeah. present and then and we've seen a surge in our you know everything for us is up and to the right so to your point like why why push too you hard have this you have the same like you have the cost seg tailwinds of your like cost seg i won't speak for you but cost seg is just this like fly on the the ass of real estate in the sense that it's just like this really tiny business that can continue to compound and compound and compound it's way smaller than any of our competitors which and it's this growing market in the sense of like small business law done right is a growing market because people don't even know it exists and then you get right. to go out and go hey here's what that looks like and here here's a way that you can help yourself even if you don't use us think about this think about this think about this Here, here's the closing checklist for the SMB acquisition, uh, whether you're using, you know, the broker's template or the guy down the street, read this before you buy. And then people yeah. just uh, want to use you because you're the only one talking about that. And so we've done the same thing with Cossack where they, they estimate there's a 3% market penetration into that business that like people who could, of the people who could 3% do it. And so, it, you know, you're just like, what? it's an education business. It's not wow. anything else. Wow. That's interesting. That's and that's well, project based work too, right, Mitchell? Yeah, that's yeah. same thing. Reoccurring, but not recurring. Not nothing recurring. recurring. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I think that provides an in interesting segue before we run out of time because I I want to pull on that thread a little bit and and pivot a little more to kind of like let's talk about practice and and advice and things like that. And the first place I want to go to your to your point there, not to make this an extended sales pitch, like. We get asked all the time, even just taking our own law firm out of it, like, how do you know, you know, if you're not a lawyer, how do you know if the lawyer you're talking to is a good lawyer that you should hire? Yeah. I presume you struggle with the same, like, how do you answer these for clients that are like, okay, well, how do I, how do I know that Mitchell Baldridge is a good tax accountant or the guy that my brother-in-law referred me to in Franklin, Tennessee or whatever? What, what do you say to people? What are you looking for? when people are interviewing accountants to try and determine, is this the right accountant for me? Are they competent? Can they actually do what I need them to do in my business? And let's maybe use this as a, yeah. a stepping stone so, to talk a, a little bit you know, more from the trenches. It, it's a complex problem in the sense that, yeah, I'm the, I'm the end user. I'm, I'm not even going to read the legal doc that you prepare for yeah. me, hopefully. I'm gonna have to trust you that you're doing it because even if I read it, it's it's in Greek or you know, it's in this kind of like common yeah, law. Yeah, there's only so language. much you're gonna and learn so, in a three month deal process. With that, I posted a tweet yesterday taken up for Dave Ramsey and you know, the much uh, maligned Dave Ramsey, but he always says trying to find a advisor with the heart of a teacher and and 
look, I'm talking my own book because I feel like that's who I am. But like, if I don't have a lawyer who can just explain to me what is in the documents and who I can go, hey, I think I want this. And I think, you know, I want a non-compete, non-disclosure, non-disparagement. I want there to be some provision where I can file a temporary restraining order. And then they go, no, you don't want that because of this, that, and the other. And, you know, I don't know anything about, I just learned that word, temporary restraining order. So, you know, I'm the one who's relying on the lawyer's judgment. And then the lawyer's the one pushing back on me and telling me yes or no, or did you forget this? And, so, I mean, really, all you, the best accountants aren't great people, <laughs> you know, yeah. and so the, the you're trying to find this cross of like, who is technically proficient, who cares about me, who's a good enough business person to understand that we're trying to kind of solve for two problems. One, we want to get it right. And two, we want to understand and plan and go forward so that we continue to get it right. right. And so that I don't have some kind of bogey that pops up because I didn't know what was going to happen either from a risk perspective or from just a tax payment perspective or, or, or whatever. So when I tell people who are shopping for accountants, I always say, Hey, take your, tell your accountant, let's schedule a two hour meeting and, and bring all your stuff and tell them to block out the day and to charge you and bring in everything and go over everything and explain everything and walk through everything and make a plan and, and start to think about going forward and what strategies could take place and then schedule the next meeting while they're there and set the agenda for the next meeting. And, and it's just like, certain accountants just can't do that or certain business models just can't handle that. And so if I were really serious about my accounting, that's something I would do. What do you think of Nick Huber? What, I mean, I love Nick Huber. I have nothing but good things to say about Nick Huber. You know, me and Nick have been friends for a long time and just watching him do what he does out there has been a lot of fun. He's, he's crazy, but I didn't know that that many people didn't like him until I, I clicked on something where somebody, I, I thought, and I think just like knowing Nick is so different than not knowing Nick because everything he tweets about, I just kind of laugh. He, he's kind of quirky and funny, but man, people really just don't like that guy. So the only thing I dislike about Nick is that anytime I tweet anything even remotely irritating, people go, you think you're Nick? <laughs> You're not Nick. He's and created like, the market. God damn it, man. I can't. I can't. Yeah, he, he has. The way I cornered the market on, on CPA threads. And, you know, if anyone does a CPA thread, I just get to comment at the bottom with, with the one I did three years ago. He, he did that with just being generally obnoxious on Twitter, which is. I know. Uh, and so, sometimes it's I'm not, like, I, got, I got in trouble this weekend. I tweeted. I thought it was an interesting uh, take on brands. It was a, yeah. I was outside of Chick-fil-A and there was some Walmart employees walking into Chick-fil-A carrying their, their iPhones like this. And I was like, man, look at that. Like Walmart employees going into Chick-fil-A carrying their iPhones, like such an interesting picture of like American consumer culture and like the interplay between, I don't know. I, I just thought it was interesting. I, yeah. I rudely, in hindsight, it was definitely rude. And I took it down within an hour, but. I took a picture of them. I took their, blocked their faces out. I just said, what a picture of American consumer culture in one photo, yada, yada, and the interplay yeah. between consumer behavior. People did not like that, Mitchell. People <laughs> did not like the, they were like, you're suggesting this and you're suggesting that. And this is suggestive of a number of, you know, terrible things. And I was like, whoa, like, I'm just not that deep guys. I talk about pizza. I eat pizza like three, three nights a week. All right. Like, I'm just not, oh, you know. So I took it down, but it was, but all of the comments were like, leave this to Nick, Just Eric, jump better off than this. <laughs> Nick, 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 Nick. I'm like, geez, Louise, man. I think uh, Michael Girdley said it maybe privately, but he said any content strategy that involves somebody like posting my address and threatening my family is not a content strategy for me. And I mean, that's, yeah. that's brutal. I think things that would probably get me canceled, but I, I just don't type them.
I have my wife review my tweets, honestly. And that's, <laughs> that's just, it saved me a lot of grief. At one time I sent something to the whole thread and Nick said, no, you can't post that. And so I just took his word for it. <laughs> if, I forget what it was, but it had to just be. I was going to say, is that had, one of those where like, if Nick tells you rails. not to post it, you're like, you've gone way over the line. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I guess I, I need counseling or Eric's, something. Eric's been known to um, send me tweets my... from time to time for approval. And they're never the ones that probably need approval, right? So, yeah, I will. No, but, they're the ones that do. And I had Nick, Nick sent me a DM once and he was like, hey, you've taken Jason, I don't know, I had this thing going on. And he sent me a DM and then he was like, you've taken this too far. Just heads, heads up. I like your account, but like, you know, this is starting to look bad. And I was like, oh, like, thank you for the perspective. Like that's, I, I, you know, I took it into consideration. I, you know, whatever. And then, and then I posted the number of, I had like 90 million impressions or whatever. And I posted that. And then he, he sent me another DM and was like, keep going, keep going. <laughs> Go so, further. <laughs> you know what? Probably my it just, yeah. I, I don't, I mean, I really don't like the, the new world order of Twitter that much. I, I, I liked it the way it was because it served mm -hmm. me and I could tweet anything I wanted and people saw it and it, it was good. And I don't like the whole engagement thing, but it, look, if you want your stuff to get seen, you have to farm for it's engagement. It's hard for I me guess, to get past it's having to craft a tweet that's unnecessarily incendiary, maybe not even in a bad way, but yeah. just like, you know, the like the the hot and cold takes like you got to go all in on something that needs more nuance in order. You know, if you try and add nuance to a tweet, you get buried. Now we got to now we got to live in a world where if you don't do it this one way, you're the stupidest person on earth to drive engagement. Um, yeah. Twitter is no place for nuance. Well, I had I to take up for Dave Ramsey. Jeez. I, mean, I yeah. I, well, I agree with you guys. I, I just want to clarify that um, Monday Millionaires and SMB Law Group is pro Elon Musk. We believe he's doing a tremendous job. And if he's listening, we, we welcome retweets and the like. So just, just that's I want, wanted to make sure that was on the record. Right. That's a, Thank you. That's yeah, a billionaire right there. Thank <laughs> All you. right, Mitch. Uh, th this has been fun, man. Anything you want to plug? You want to talk about Baldridge Financial? Anything you want to say before we? Yeah. Get uh, follow me on Twitter at Baldridge CPA. We, me and my friend Scott Hambrick have a podcast called Stupid Tax. That you may want to listen to it on on all podcast providers. Got a newsletter. Got a got Ari Kosseg. Got better bookkeeping for uh, founders and solopreneurs like you. And, you know, just at me, bro, DM me. But uh, thank you guys for having me. This has been fun. And um, yeah, great to finally meet Eric. Great to catch up again, you Kevin. And I love what y'all do, man. And excited to Likewise. watch along. Love it, Mitchell. Great to meet you as well. And yeah, if absolutely, you find your, man. your way through Dallas, drop me a line. I will. Yeah, yeah. We go to Dallas quite a bit so let's do that sounds great this was better right. than this was better than i even hoped so exciting yeah likewise yeah thanks for making the time man this was fun yeah. great to meet you thanks for listening to this episode of mundane millionaires if you enjoyed what you heard in this episode Make sure to follow Mundane Millionaires wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. See you next time.